Good morning, everybody. Got several things I want to mention this morning. This, first of all, this has been moved and it's not straight, and that I can't deal with it. Um, just to reiterate, the baptism, baptism service, services coming up on March 10 and 17. Okay, now. Um, I have to re I, I was thinking just as I was coming up here, I probably ought to tell you that um, we only have capacity for immersion baptisms in the fellowship hall where the youth have a literal horse tank um, that we can then carry out and dump. If we do it in here, we've got to have a hose that reaches to right, a sump pump, and all kinds of stuff. Um, I am from a strong Methodist background and am a sprinkler-pourer, <laughs> sprinkling-pouring immersion. Um, so if you sign up, if you are a die-hard immersionist, You'll have to wait till it gets warmer, okay? <laughs> and we can do this in some stream or something. So anyway, um, the other thing is I, I told somebody before the service, I was going to ask for a show of hands of any of you here who know anyone who's not sick. This has been a wild uh, time. Um, and there's a couple of prayer requests I want to mention. And then, um, even though we'll, it's not going to cut into the sermon, I'll still quit on time. Um, but I think it'd be good for us to uh, gather here in the front and pray. Um, this has been kind of a crazy week. Um, Joe Kissick's been in the hospital with cellulitis, bacterial cell cellulitis, which is dangerous for, uh, what, three or four days. Judy Junt um, had emergency abdominal surgery um, this past week. And a couple that I know where they sit, and they're not here, but everybody sits where they normally sit. That's how I keep track of things. Um, so don't move. Tom and Mary Curry. Tom was on his way to Casper earlier in the week. Um, and the fatal accident that had occurred on 50, just down how many ever miles, he was involved in that. He ended up, um, he was hit by a semi, um, but he's home. Um, he got some cuts and bruises and banged around and um, is going to be awful sore for a while, but... It's the absolute mercy of the Lord, a jack another jackknifed semi coming over the hill onto the wreck of two semis, swung around and, and hit him and totaled his pickup. And he was, I went to see him in the emergency room. The, the force, though he was tightly seat belted in, uh, took him out of both of his shoes. 
and that he came out um, fairly or close to being unscathed is just the mercy of the Lord. So it's been a strange week uh, here. But anyway, then the last thing I want us to pray for, not only all these and others that are uh, ill, can't seem to shake it, um, Dr. Beck, um, Dave Beck and his wife, Nikki are in Togo for, I can't remember, I think it may be three weeks or so, medical um, missions trip um, where they do all kinds of things that they aren't even trained to do. Um, but at any rate, so uh, we need to pray for them. They are, they are in an area that is... Um, heavily I don't know if it's predominantly but it's heavily Muslim and this is a Samaritan's Purse Christian clinic and so there's some inherent you know concern there um, so anyway those of you that wish um, let's come and kneel here and lift these requests and others you may have. We also have a couple people who were diagnosed with influenza this week. So at any rate, I think it'd be good for us to gather here. You can stay in your seat if you wish, but if you want to come to the front and kneel, let's do that at this point. And then we will spend some time in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I know every Sunday that we gather here as a body of believers, we have plenty of things to pray for, but it seems that today we have a lot going on. So we lift unto you a number of requests. First, Pray for the men that are over in Spearfish today, a good group of them, for the men's retreat, and they will be traveling home this afternoon. <clears throat> we pray that there would be spiritual growth and grace, blessing, strengthening in the hearts of everyone that is there. We thank you for the opportunity to have that, and we pray that you would bless them, keep them safe as they come home. But again, Lord, above all, may it be spiritually beneficial to them. Then we pray for all of those this week who have had surgeries, hospitalization, automobile accidents, other illnesses. It just seems, Lord, like uh, lots going on. I know that you're aware of it. And though, Lord, we know that spiritual things are more important than physical, yet we are affected emotionally and spiritually and mentally by physical issues. We are a unit. And so if one aspect of our lives 
if in one they're suffering, it, it impacts us throughout. We pray for those, Lord, that have had serious issues this past week. We lift them up and pray that you would continue to give them recovery, touch them. Lord, we pray for, pray for Tom, that you would give him healing. And Lord, we don't know, but someone, someone lost a loved one a few days ago, just a few miles from here. We pray for them. You know them. And while we're at it, Lord, I pray for the, the families involved, the situation in our city to the north, Sheridan, all that went on there. You know their connections between that police officer and his family and our, our flock here. And so, Lord, we have much to lift to you today to pray that you would comfort and heal and recover and lift up and help those who are in need. We pray, Lord, that your grace today would flow from your word to us and that our hearts would be strengthened and enlightened from your wonderful word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the twelfth chapter of the book of Revelation, beginning with the seventh verse, reading through the twelfth, is the scripture we want to look at this morning. Beginning with verse seven, this, as far as we know, this particular paragraph and the record in it occurred pre-creation. But we're told about it and it, it is a clue to everything really in the rest of the scripture. Verse 7 And war broke out in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now, primarily what I want us to look at this morning is the 11th verse. And they, that's the believers, the people of God, the children of God, not the angels, not the Son of God, but us, His people, the sheep of His pasture. And they overcame Him, that's Satan. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. A couple things I want us to look at that aren't contradictory, but seem to be a contrast. In the verse previous, the 10th verse, salvation, strength, kingdom of our God, power of his Christ has overcome because he has been cast down. Satan and his angels, we do not know all the details, but um, I think that there's veiled language in Ezekiel and also in Isaiah that reflects on whenever this rebellion beginning in the heart of Satan, who apparently became exalted in himself and said, I will be God. I will ascend, it says, to the sides of the north and to the hill of God. And for that rebellion, he, Satan, and we, this is also figurative, so we don't know for sure, but Revelation speaks of that dragon in another place, drawing with his tail one-third of the stars. The inference believed is that a third of the angels participated in the rebellion in heaven. And... Unlike the rebellion later that occurred on earth with Adam and Eve, no redemption was offered or provided for the devil and his angels. There was no fixing what they did. They were cast out of heaven. Jesus refers to it when he sent out his disciples, gave them power over, he said, demons and diseases and so forth. And when they returned, they gave a report to Jesus. And they were, we know from the context, they were overly um, fixated on the power that Jesus had given them and the acts that they had performed by that power. They were giddy and said, we saw the dead raised, we cast out demons, we healed people. And Jesus stopped them. He said, don't rejoice in this. Then he said two things. One, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
referring to this. Then he told the, so in other words, he was saying, I was there when reality took place. I was there when the power, a little tiny bit of which I delegated to you in the last few weeks as you went out as missionaries, I was there when the overthrow of Satan occurred. He said, rather, don't rejoice over the fact that you got to do some sensational things. Rather, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know, he said, your names are written in heaven. That's the most important thing. And in order to be assured that our names are written in heaven, we have to be overcomers. Which is what verse 11 refers to. And they, the believers, overcame him, Satan. Now, here's what I think is something we have to note. Satan and his angels and that entire rebellion was completely put down. And Satan and his angels or demons were cast out of heaven cast down but in the very next verse he says we've got to war against him we're in a war with him and the only way we're going to on this earth as as humans overcome him is by the blood of the lamb the word of their testimony and not loving their lives even unto death. So the issue here is that we are overcomers. To be an overcomer assumes several things. One, a war. An enemy. An enemy who has devious and deadly aims for us. Someone who is out to ruin us. And we are locked in a mortal battle with him. This is all that matters is that we overcome. And we're told carefully and clearly how we overcome. One last thing on the fact that Satan is thrown out of heaven. God crushed him. Yet, we, yet he's still around to fight against us. That seems a contradiction. It's not. Because when it comes to how we overcome that enemy, we have to remember this. God defeated and I want to use the words carefully here. God defeated Satan provisionally. He provided for his defeat personally in my own life and in my own heart. But though God has already triumphed over Satan, I am not an overcomer Unless by faith and obedience, repentance, 
following God, laying aside my will, I can't appropriate that victory that God's already accomplished over Satan. He has provided victory for us on condition that we trust Him, join His forces, walk with Him, submit to Him, and then indeed the victory that God won through Christ. Remember in the Garden of Eden, on there in front of Adam and Eve, maybe moments after they disobeyed God, brought death and disruption and separation into the world. God said, the seed of the woman, Jesus, the seed of the woman, he said, to Satan, in the form, who had assumed the form of a serpent. To him, God said, he, the seed of the woman, Jesus, that's the virgin birth, you will bruise his heel. You'll inflict pain on him, but he will crush your head. This he did really prior to creation. Jesus, the scripture everywhere says, slain from the foundation of the world. This was in the heart and mind of God before the foundation of the world. The victory is already won in God's case over Satan. In my case, it has to personally take place, even though in the kingdom of God it's already an accomplished fact. It isn't an accomplished fact in my own heart until I appropriate that victory through Jesus by faith. Now, let's look at the ways in which they, the overcomers got the victory over Satan. First, through atonement. The atonement is, f for many, difficult to understand. But as simply as we can possibly put it, Scripture says, Jesus suffered the just for the unjust. No unjust person, a sinner, can offer their life as a sacrifice for sin. They deserve, we deserve, to die. In fact, we've already spiritually died by being separated from God because of sin. Now, God sent His Son who voluntarily took on Himself the penalty for our sins, not His. He died for our sins. He was just. He knew no sin. He did not deserve sin. 
God spent 1,500 years at least trying to teach and foreshadow a, an unblemished offering because He told the Israelites, when you offer, say, a lamb for your sins, it must be blemish-free. said, don't bring me some three-legged sheep. Don't bring to me some sheep that's got mange. He said, it is clean. It is whole. It is healthy. It's without blemish. That's the only thing acceptable unto me. And, of course, the core issue of bringing a lamb. It's innocent. And the sinner who brought the lamb to be slain as a covering for their sin laid their hands on the head of the lamb, confessed their sin, and then it was the sinner forced to cut the throat of the sacrifice. Then the priest took the blood and sprinkled it on the penitent, the one repenting, the one showing up confessing there was a reason why he made the sinner not only confess thus laying his sins on that innocent lamb but also making them be the ones who would bear the grief and the shame of having to look at an innocent little lamb unaware of what was going to happen to it and they had to cut its throat symbolizing I caused that. That's why God set up that system. But he continually taught them that an innocent and unblemished victim would be the covering for their sins. And after drumming that, uh, trying to drum that into their hearts and heads for 15, nearly 2,000 years, when Jesus came, what's the first message really, the first announcement as Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Every Jew practiced. None of them could even count the number of times they had seen or participated in slaying a lamb having its blood sprinkled on them for their repetitious sins, every one of them should have immediately recognized this is what God's been illustrating to us from Moses. They didn't. But we see then that how we gain the victory over this 
defeated foe who is yet roaming the earth and is still deceiving people and is still accusing us. And we'll get to that in a minute. The way to overcome is, this says, by the blood of the Lamb. It's really because of, or on account of, or on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus, we are overcomers. Now, I can't get into weeds for two reasons. Not because you aren't bright enough um, to get down in the weeds, but if I get into the same weeds, I can't get out. We're dealing here with awfully deep truths. But we have to remember this. The blood of the Lamb means Jesus' blood. Hebrews, in an obscure passage, seemingly, has Jesus saying, I'm coming into the world to the Father at your will, and you have given me a body through the incarnation. And he said, I came to do your will, O God. What does that mean? The Father decreed that Jesus, through the virgin birth, would become incarnate into flesh. He would be God in flesh. And why did he come here? First, so that he could tabernacle among us. To be a high priest, he had to understand us. He had to go through everything we go through. He had to be tempted in every point like we are, yet without sin. So he could adequately represent us to the Father. But he also had a body that physically had blood in it that was to be spilled as the Lamb of God for the sins of the whole world. We overcome Satan because of the fact that Jesus as a perfect, unblemished sacrifice, shed his literal blood. And in doing so, he not only, the longer I preach, the more I've realized we emphasize the death of Jesus poorly. Because we focus, and we, we shouldn't not focus, but almost exclusively, I, I don't know how many, 50-some, 50 51 Easters, probably the first 40 of them, I've emphasized, as we all do, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Communion, we emphasize the physical pain that Jesus endured, nails driven through his wrists, Nails driven through his ankles. Crown of thorns pushed down on his forehead. And then the emotional abuse, the jeering and the mocking. Come down from there and save yourself. 
we emphasize that and try to make Jesus seem sympathetic so that we'll feel bad that we brought that about on him. And then that'll hopefully motivate us to give our hearts to Jesus and quit the sin business. Now, there's not falsehood to that. But that isn't, I don't think that's 10% of what Jesus suffered. The true suffering of Jesus He had to suffer everything that sin brought upon us in order to save us. He had to experience it. What he really experienced on our behalf and in our place, in our stead, was hell. When he cried out, Why, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, in that moment, felt the reality of the eternal separation from God that every sinner who won't repent will endure for all of eternity. So the, I don't mean to minimize it at all, the nails driven and the thorns on his brow were nothing compared he had to experience what it was like to be a lost soul. There's a painting, and I can't remember, Da Vinci or whoever, almost, I think, divinely inspired. It's a pencil or just black and white. I don't know how in the world... The artist captured it. It's the title. It is the title of it is Head, and it's just from shoulders up, Head of a Damned Soul. There is a picture on the face of that drawing that is just almost supernatural of horror. That's what Jesus experienced for us when he said, why have you forsaken me? He had to experience not just the physical death, but the physical death as a sacrifice for sin led to what sin really is, which is eternal separation from God. That's what he had to experience in order to save it from save us from that we then we overcome this already defeated foe who's still in the business of lying to us and deceiving us and slandering God's character and slandering our character we overcome him Because of what Jesus did in physically dying and then spiritually experiencing what we as lost souls would experience in hell. You know, there's two things that we've, two things I think that we have just discreetly in most of the church world today We've discreetly erased uh, 
or using, you know, the white whiteout, we've gotten rid of the, to be honest, maybe this isn't the greatest word, but the squeamishness of blood. But the, you know, the whole Old Testament especially was, was just blood everywhere. We have this idea of the kind of a sanitized version. The temple and the altar and the basins where they caught blood. This was just a gory situation to a small 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 degree if we can remember those of you who may have seen the passion of the Christ that didn't even come close to it but it was more graphic than most of us have ever seen Jesus suffered that including separation from God, a sense of being separated from God, so that he could then, through the resurrection, close that gap, give us victory over Satan, make us, provide us a ground to be overcomers. They overcame him. And if we look here again at verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, salvation, strength, the kingdom of God, and the power of his Christ have come. For this is what the devil's been doing and what he still does. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, what is this accusation? Some of it's mysterious. Some of it we completely understand. First, the enemy is a constant accuser of God to us. Not a day goes by that he doesn't accuse God's character to us and do his best to try to get us to believe it. You've prayed for this, haven't seen a thing. You don't feel like God hears you, there's no evidence that he's doing anything at all. And you've committed your life to God and look at what He allowed to come into your life. And you've served God and you've done your best. Why in the world if He loved you would He allow this to come into your life? Why would He allow this illness? Maybe take a loved one. Why didn't He stop that? He's right there to accuse God to us. Second, in a bizarre effort, but it's biblical, Satan attempts to accuse us to God. He attempts to turn God against us. We see it very plainly in Job. He went to God and he said, Job serves you and Satan had to know that God's all-knowing. 
knows hearts. He said, Job's a fraud. He only serves you because you've hedged him around and made him filthy rich, richest man of the whole East. He's got children that are, you know, the prize of the whole neighborhood. Your daughters are the most beautiful in the East. You got everything your heart could want. He said, that's the only reason he serves you, Lord, not because he loves you. You've given him so much. He's a fraud. And then, he, then God allowed, he allowed that test. He said, all right, you can take all, away, all that away from him. And we'll see. Satan took it all away. It says, Job still held fast. He trusted God. Now, we, won't, we know the story of Job. The same thing we know from the language happened to Peter. On the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus asked the disciples, who are people saying they think I am? And they named, well, resurrected prophet or whatever. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter's stood forth and he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this unto you, but my Father who's in heaven. And the next words out of Jesus' mouth, after that great commendation to Peter, were a warning. He said, you need to know, we're on the way to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of wicked men. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'll rise from the dead. That last phrase they never heard. All they heard was, they're going to kill me. Peter, that same man who Jesus just heaped praise on, grabbed Jesus by the lapels, took him aside, and told him, this will not happen. It can't. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. No, he wasn't saying he was the devil. The word Satan means adversary. Right now, Peter, you're an adversary to me. And then he told him why. He said, you are interested in the things of this world, not of the things of God. So we know in a mystery that Peter the next verse Jesus said Peter Satan has and here's how the original language Satan has earnestly desired and received permission to put you through the sieve but I've prayed for you that your faith would not be eclipsed. That's an important word. Well, Peter denied Jesus. Jesus' prayer was not been answered. It was answered. His faith was not entirely blotted out, which is what the word there means. He failed, but upon seeing Jesus and hearing the rooster crow, it says he went out and wept bitterly. No time was lost. 
after that failure to his repentance. We overcome through the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. And I've got to just finish because I'm already over, so... There's a lot here. This is important. They overcame because of Jesus' victory for them. They overcome by their own testimony. They could, they knew reality. They didn't have to hope their name was written in heaven. Hope that their sins were forgiven. They knew it. There's the deep inner witness of the Spirit. That impression, divine impression on our soul. That we're reconciled unto God. Our sins are under the blood. And we can face God with a clear heart. That is absolutely required of all of us. But it's the greatest gift and blessing we could have. I know whom I have believed. Finally, just to jump to the last one. This is critical they overcome, overcame by, said they did not love their lives unto death. Here's a literal translation. They carried their not love of life clear out to death. Whether it was death of martyrdom or just death of old age. But to the end, to their last breath, they maintained their commitment and their utter discard of their lives. Not that they hated their lives or they were masochists of some kind. But they had an experience in their hearts and in their lives that they could point to where they said, Lord, I love you more like Jesus said, if you don't love me more than your mother, your father, your houses, your lands, your money, and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. He didn't say, you can't be one of my top tier disciples. You can't be one of my golden boys. He said, you can't even be a ground floor disciple. If you don't love me more than everything, even your life. And it says they carried that commitment and that attitude and that spirit clear out to whatever kind of death they experienced. That last characteristic is where real overcoming is obtained and maintained. We have to give ourselves to the one who gave himself for us completely and then by the grace of God maintain that by walking in the light and continuing to trust and obey like the old hymn trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey may we by the grace of God and our own will be overcomers let's bow our heads Tanner, if you'd come and dismiss us with the benediction.
Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a book that gives us the most realistic outlook we could possibly have for this life that we are living. Lord, we see in this book the good that you provide and the bad, the difficult, the hard, the things that are going to hurt us and harm us in this life. And yet, Lord, we thank you for this book. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us in it that while we were still in our sin, you died for us. Lord, we want to just hold that in our minds this morning before we leave. We want to hold in our minds that sacrifice, that atonement that you gave for us. Lord, we want to remember that you were the lamb that was slain for us, for all humanity, but for me and for these people in this room and those watching online. It's by your blood that we find life. And Lord, we want to hold in our minds as well the ways that those of us who have found life in you have had our lives turned around. Lord, help us to remember where we came from and what state our soul was in in our past and where it's at today, Lord. Help us to remember that when we're accused and when we feel discouraged and beaten down by our enemy. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the courage to be your people and do what your book says, and that is to not love our lives so much as our pastor ended with, that we would hold on to it above the life that you want to give us, that eternal life that you promise us. Lord, let us hold that as our hope. Let us hold that as the thing that propels us through the difficulty in this life, Lord. These are our prayers to you this morning, that you would help us to do all these things, to be overcomers as you will us to be. Lord, but it is our choice, and so we pray for courage. We pray for your grace this morning to do it. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus who died for us. Amen.